God designed all of us for relationships, where people are investing in the lives of others. Discipleship works best within life-on-life -life engagement. Modeling what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Follow me as I follow Christ. everybody. Well, that was awesome, wasn't it? What a great way to start a Sunday, worshiping with you guys together. We're going to continue our series on disciples making disciples today. If you remember our first week, uh, we talked about being spirit-filled. That's really the starting place of our effective ability to make disciples, is that we are indeed spirit-filled. And then the next week was all about your story, how God transformed your life and what is your story and testimony of what he has done? And then the next week was all about God's story. How do I share God's story with others so that they too can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? And then last week, it was all about your identity in Christ and your assurance of that. And when we have all of those things going on, it helps us to become more effective at making disciples. Today, we're going to talk about prayer. And more specifically, we're going to talk about how prayer can be passed on to others and teaching them to pray as well. But what, what does discipleship look like? And uh, I have an image that I want to show you guys so you can see what discipleship looks like. That is my grandson, Brayden. And just behind him is his daddy, my uh, son-in-law, TJ. And a couple of things, that's what discipleship really looks like. He is focused, and I'm guessing that the only thing that he's thinking about in that instant is hitting that ball. There was a number of things that went into that. There was the preparation of it. It's dad showing him, dad modeling for him what that looks like. And, oh, oh what does it really look like when it plays out? Boom. Boom. Check it out. I'm, yeah, I'm one, one proud grandpa. So... What you didn't get to experience there is the audio. So what happens right there, when he hits that ball, there's a huge celebration that happens. He's obviously very, very proud of what he just accomplished, but so is daddy, so is mom, and of course, so is grandma and grandpa. But that's really the essence of what discipleship is all about, is when we're able to take what we've learned and we're able to pass that on to someone else, and we're able to see them succeed in doing that. But it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun, but there's also a lot of work. I got to show you one more clip. Discipleship is also a lot of work. Check that out. I mean, is that cool or what? When I first saw that video, the thing that struck me the most is at the very beginning, Joe Braden is watching his dad as his dad is just kind of leading the way, which again is a great picture of what we have. Our Heavenly Father, our eyes are set upon him. He's showing us how it's done. We mimic that. We follow him in that. And then we become what he desires for us to become. That really is the essence of discipleship. So discipleship, or disciples, are followers of Christ through two things, really, his word and in prayer. Um, Psalm 119, I just want to read you an excerpt from Psalm 119, verse 45. Check out that, the dual nature of the word of God and prayer and how that's permeating the discipler. He says, the psalmist says, I cry out with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, prayer. I will keep your statutes. Word of God. 
Verse 146, I cry out to you, save me, prayer, and I will keep your testimonies, word of God. I rise before the dawning of the morning, and I cry for your help, prayer. I hope in your word, word of God. Verse 148, my eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. That's the word of God. And then 149, hear my voice according to your loving kindness, O Lord. Revive me according to your justice. Prayer. The word of God in prayer. The word of God in prayer. The word of God in prayer. That just permeates the discipler. Those are two aspects and two vital parts of the Christian walk so that we can pass those two things on to other, others. The word of God in prayer is like oxygen and blood for the body. During a normal day, we breathe uh, 25,000 times in one day. It's a constant thing that happens, and oftentimes we don't even really think about it, right? The same is true of our heart. It beats 100,000 times every day, pumping about 2,000 gallons of blood. So just imagine one gallon uh, containers just lining the stage or stacked up on the stage, 2,000 of them. That's how much your, your heart pumps blood in the course of a day. The point is, it's a constant that demonstrates and illustrates physical life. How do you know someone's alive when they're, when they're, when they're, uh, uh, they're on the ground and you're wondering, okay, they're, they're, they're not responding? What are the things that we check for? Are they breathing and is their heart beating? When you go in to see the doctor to see what your, your vitality is and how healthy you are, what does he check? He checks your heart or, or she puts the, uh, you know, the band on here to check your heart pressure, your, your, your pulse. They, they put a little stethoscope on your heart or on your back to, to monitor how your breathing is. Take in, why? They, they can learn a lot about your vitals. The point is clear. The vitality of your Christian walk has a lot to do with your time in the word of God, and in prayer. Is it a constant? Is it a regular? Because if it is not, we're going to be very susceptible to diseases, to illnesses, to stresses, to the circumstances of of life, and we'll already be weakened because we're not already strengthened by the word of God in prayer, and we become very susceptible to the things that can hinder our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it renders us somewhat ineffective in our ability to make disciples. When Jesus was asked by his disciples how to pray, it is so cool. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. There it is. There's the model. He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus was modeling it. He came back. They asked the question. Now, I'm going to segue a little bit here. We, we were looking at little Braden hitting the ball. I'm going to go back to baseball for just a moment. Uh, if he was a pitcher, which maybe one day he'll be a, a pitcher, there's going to be a number of pitches that he's going to learn. Curveball, uh, slider, knuckleball, changeup, fastball. Studies are done. When you are a pitcher, your objective is to strike out the pitcher or the batter Um, or at least send a pitch that's going to cause him to kind of muff the hit, and it's going to make it an easy infielder or even outfielder out. But the objective is to get the batter out. 
And so there's a sequence to that, a study of sequence. Do you throw a, when you got a strike on a batter and you just need to get two more strikes, what's the most effective sequence that you use? It is a slider and a curveball, a knuckleball, a fastball. What is it? Bar none, the most effective two-pitch sequence that you use to get a batter out is a fastball, fastball. More specifically, a four-seam fastball, a four-seam fastball, and their probability of getting them out soars as, compares, as, as compared to any other sequence. I believe that when Jesus gives this answer, he just thrown a fastball, fastball. There are a lot of other portions of scripture that we can go to where we can learn like an acrostic style of prayer. We start this way, we end this way, or we pray like this, or we model a prayer that we read in the Bible. Those are all very, very effective. But Jesus minced no words. He just got straight to it. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, he just says this. When they ask the question, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. What I want to do this morning is just kind of give the last two pitches right here. Um, This pattern of prayer really does two things. It glorifies God, if you're taking notes, glorifies God and it asks for help to accomplish his will on earth. That's the purpose of prayer. That's what we see in what is called sometimes the Lord's Prayer, but oftentimes the disciples' prayer is how the disciples are to pray. So first of all, he modeled it, and then he taught it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I love this quote. He says, man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees, and he comes face to face with God. James taught that prayer is important and powerful. And we read in James chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore confess your sins one to another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. James also makes it very, very clear in chapter 1, verse 13, that it is how God answers the requests and needs of people. You have not because you ask not. And you have not because you ask amiss. In other words, you're not asking for the right things according to God's will. But you need to ask. That's how our needs are met. So what I want to do is um, break down uh, the disciples' prayer with you guys for just a few moments and highlight what the, what's really going on with this pattern and this structure of prayer that Jesus is laying out for us. Um, but Warren Wearsby says something very uh, interesting about this. And it's really addressing um, what prayer does in us. He says this, Since prayer involves glorifying God's name, asking for the coming of kingdom of God, and helping to establish God's will on earth, the one praying must not have unconfessed sin in his heart. If God answered the prayers of a believer who had an unforgiving spirit, he would dishonor his own name. How could God work through such a person to get his will done on earth? If God gave him his request, he would be encouraging sin. Interesting, isn't it? So what's the point? This is our central point today. Prayer is not simply getting an answer, but being the kind of person that God can trust with an answer. 
Prayer is not simply getting an answer, but being the kind of person that God can trust with an answer. We understand this, uh, those of you who are parents, when a small child is asking for a Harley Davidson, uh, whatever, and we're saying, I'd love to give that to you, but I can't trust you with how you would handle that. Maybe someday, wait, it'll be a period of years, and for a child, it would seem like forever, and maybe for parents, it's like never. (laughs) But for some that I know in this room, they'd say, oh, the sooner the better, right? You have no idea the fun and the thrill of being able to get on that bike and go together. The disciples' prayers, uh, it's not, Jesus didn't give this to the disciples to recite like a poem or like a ritual or like the rubbing of a lamp or a waving of, of a magic wand, just say this and it'll all happen. No, it's not a mindless prayer, it's a mindful prayer. There's a pattern, there's a sequence. There are things that happen in that prayer time that do an incredible work in us as we're seeking to see him be glorified and for him to be uh, effective or for us to be effective in the things that he wants us to do. So how are we to pray? Number one, in your notes, in God's name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, Beloved, we're adopted children. When we've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we now are his beloved child and we can talk to him as such. I love to hear little Braden say to his dad, Daddy, Daddy. I love that my daughter says, Daddy, Dad. It's a term of endearment. It's closeness. It's dependence. It's love. But also, hallowed be your name. It's that of reverence, of a high place. The name represents everything and all that he is. God has given several names. Just to name a few, El Shaddai, that means God Almighty. El Elyon, God Most High. El Alam, the eternal God. He's always been. He is now. He always will be. He has, he's the Alpha and Omega. He is my hiding place, my stronghold, my rock, my defender, my shepherd, my savior. He is my master, and he is my friend. When we start our time, our hiding place, our going away to go be with the Lord in prayer, and it was Jesus went away to a place. Where is your place that you pray? Um, Prayer groups are fantastic. We're going to see that here in just a little bit. But when Jesus went away, he went away to a solitary place to pray. That's how we can pray this way. We can acknowledge him for who he is, and we can petition him for what's on our heart. Hallowed be thy name. Secondly, God's kingdom, your kingdom come. Our greatest desire, really, is to see the Lord reigning as king on this earth. I really sense that when we are worshiping in this room here. We want him to come and to rule and reign on this planet. We desire that with all of our hearts as children. The psalmist echoed this in Psalm 145, verse 13, when he says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. There's a future day coming. We trust him with that future. 
when he's going to come to this planet and he's physically going to be in Jerusalem and he's going to rule and he's going to reign for a thousand years. There's a future kingdom that we're desiring to see come about. It's the millennial kingdom. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 talks about this when uh, John says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their heads, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. When you take your time, your solitary place to pray, is this a portion in time of your prayer time? Are you longing for that? Are you like John at the end of Revelation says, even so, Lord, come quickly. We're seeing a a world that is continuing to digress, that is continuing to be anti-God and anti-Him, that is a world that is becoming more corrupt in its ways, that is becoming more vehement in its desire to, to take out the things of God. Are you praying for His kingdom to come? Please do so. Jesus said this is what we are to be praying for right across the plate. But what about this present age? I mean, he isn't ruling and reigning. We want that to happen. But Jesus talked about the kingdom of God that is in the midst of you. How do we live out the kingdom life now that that would be the yield of our heart? Titus talks, or uh, Paul talks about this with Titus in chapter 2, verse 11, when he says, this is, this is how we're to pray now. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to announce ungodly and worldly passions. Now, let me just kind of pause for a moment. What's going on here is Paul's wanting Titus to teach some things as he sets some elders in place and make sure that they're teaching the right things to the folks as they're going through the last days, so to speak. So we are to become followers of Jesus Christ through salvation, and then we are to train, we are to disciple others to do a few things so that we can live out the kingdom life here. Renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We don't just succumb to those. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Respond in saving faith, live a godly life, Look forward to his coming. That's living kingdom life and praying for that now. I like what Francis Havergale says. Oh, the joy to see thee reigning, thee my own beloved Lord. Every tongue thy name confessing, worship, honor, glory, blessing. Brought to thee with one accord, thee my master and my friend. Vindicated and enthroned unto earth's remotest end, glorified, adored, and owned, longing for that. Thirdly, we pray for God's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we know God's will? Through God's word. He tells us. In my office, there's a, um, there's a beautiful print of... Um, it's, it's like a, a set of cliffs, and there's, there's water at the bottom. It's a canyon, and there's a, a little boat there of a, of a single solitary individual. I'm guessing he's there fishing out there. 
And uh, underneath it is, is uh, Psalm 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's the Word of God. Dwelling in His Word is what helps us to understand what His will is. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but... The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law, of this word. So we're praying that all of God's will would become our will and we're praying that his will would prevail over all the earth as it does in heaven. That's what we're praying for. Praying this way will often amaze us. In Acts chapter 16, I believe, no, Acts chapter 12 This is where Peter had been thrown into jail by Herod because Herod realized that uh, his popularity really peaked when he martyred James with the sword. So let's continue to do the same. He brings in Peter. He locks stock and barrel, brings all the the security he could to to lock this guy up, and then he was going to martyr him. But God had other plans while in Mary's house, uh, John's mom, they had this prayer meeting together. And they're saying, Lord, would you protect Peter? Lord, would you protect Peter? Peter's in prison. The angel comes, frees him up. He's, he, in fact, he's so amazed. He thinks it's a dream. He comes to his senses. He goes to Mary's house. He goes there. And he begins knocking on the door. Rhoda shows up. And she's like, Hey, it's Peter. She's yelling back to, to the prayer team, and they're going, no, it's a, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Peter just keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. And then we read in verse 16, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. That's what it's like when we pray, and we pray according to God's will, and we're crying out to him, and then he brings about what he and only he can do. We're just amazed by this. But persistent prayer is not contrary to his will. I think for some people, we shut down because we go, well, God already has a will. He already has a plan. So why should we even pray? Because Jesus says, I want you to pray persistently. And when we pray persistently and we see this happen, we are partners with God in fellowship in what's coming about. And it gives us great joy and it gives him great glory. So that's why he says in Luke 18.1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Such a key there. When we become mindless or distant in how and when we pray, we lose heart. We're disengaged. We also pray for our provision. Give us this day our daily bread. These are our needs. These are all needs, whether it's food, shelter, clothing, medical needs, health needs, the cares for other people, We go to the very source, the one who offers life, the one who gave life, the one that can sustain life for our needs. That's why in James 1.17, we acknowledge uh, what James says when he says, all good things and perfect things come from our Father, the Father of lights. We're acknowledging that that's where it all comes from, so we should ask him. So he is the one who brings about the provisions that we need. So those who have a right view of God and a right relationship with him through Jesus Christ are promised 
the provision of their heavenly father. That's why we love going to to Matthew chapter 6 and we continue reading and he just reminds us that God's aware of what's going on with the sparrows. Aren't you more important than they? God's aware of the number of hairs on He knows you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, these provisions, will be added to you. So we go to him for our provisions. And then we go to him when we pray. It's all about our relationships. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's a real interesting word that's used for debts. It's one of five New Testament Greek terms used for sin. It, refer, it refers to moral, spiritual debts. It's man's greatest problem. Because of sin, we're separated from God. It's the, the ultimate effect of sin is death and damnation. And the present effects are misery, dissatisfaction, and guilt. And that's why the gospel is so beautiful. God recognizes that we are in our sins and there not, must be payment for those sins. The wrath of God will be poured out on sin. So God in his great love, his great mercy, sent his son to make full payment for our sins at the ultimate sacrifice of death, death on the cross, three days in the grave, rose victorious over sin and death, ascended to the Father at the right hand of the Father. He has made full payment for our sins. So we who have our sins go to him and by faith say, God, would you forgive me of my sins? And he is ready to pardon. And prior to that, he's God the judge. But after that, he's God my father. And so prior to, if we don't know Christ, we go to him and we ask for forgiveness so that judgment wouldn't come on us where there would be condemnation. But after that, we go to him as Father who disciplines us in love and we continue to sin as followers of Jesus Christ. We need to continue to go to him and say, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Not as judge, not to keep our salvation, but as a child who wants to keep a healthy relationship with him and with others. But what's so interesting about this is it has everything to do with him and everything to do with others. Forgiving, it's a conditional thing. He says, I'll forgive you, child, if you'll forgive them. But if you don't forgive them, meh. And we fall, on, we fall into this discipline stage where God continues to discipline us, discipline us, discipline us. I, I ain't forgiven them. Think about this. Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 7, or Hebrews chapter 2, he's acquainted with all of our ways. We can go to him and say, God, I need your help and forgiving. And he is the only one who could say, yep, I was murdered. Yes, I was maligned against. Yes, I was falsely accused. I was called Satan. Yes, I was hated. Yes, I, I, I understand. And so I will forgive you and others, and I'm asking you, empowered by me, by my spirit, to forgive others as well. This is in the long, big, heavy yikes, but it's also in the day-by-day 
someone says something that you didn't like or someone treated you in a way that you shouldn't have been treated or a comment was made that, or a deed was done or a lie was spoken. It was against you. It was an offense. It was a debt that was against you. Forgive. So it's, it could be as simple as, I recognize that this is happening, Lord. She said that. He said that. He did that. Oh, I'm hanging on to that. Nope. God, I forgive them. It doesn't, 90% of the time, it doesn't even need to be a conversation with the person. Many times they have absolutely no idea what they said or did. It may be that in my own mind I'm thinking that they intended it for malicious reasons. And that's not even, so it's me and the Lord going, Lord, I'm forgiving them. If there's anything that you need to do in their heart, that, you know it, and you, but I've forgiven them. I'm free. And now, I just in my prayer time, whew, I've been freed up. Next time I see that person, it's not an awkward, I don't want to look or glance, or I feel awkward. No, it's forgiven. It's gone. The beauty of that relationship can continue. Um, Thomas Manton, I love this. He says, there is none, he's talking about a person, there is none so tender to others as they which have received mercy themselves. For they know how gently God has dealt with them. And then we pray for our protection. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the way that I've been praying for our students that showed up at 5.30 this morning here and are heading off to camp. I'm praying all these things, but right now, this morning, I've been praying for their protection as they travel to camp. God, by the way, is not the one who leads us into temptation. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We see this again in James. He says, no, God doesn't do any of the evil stuff. That comes from the devil, comes from the world, and it even comes from the flesh that we read about our own flesh in 1 John 2, 16. We cry out to him as our deliverer in times of testing. Submit to his word and express this in prayer. Psalm 119, 11. There's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go all the way. You guys, I'm going to jump us all the way to Psalm 19. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word is teaching me and showing me how to do that. And then the last thing that we're praying for is for his glory. Some of your uh, translations added, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This wraps it all together. When um, we, we read also in 1 Chronicles 29 11, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you have exalted head. You are exalted above head, above all. Looking at my time, we're doing great. Um, Jesus, or Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a shaping. The question I need to ask myself is, what is my life saying when it comes to making disciples? Because people are following me. 
I ask you the same question. What is your life saying when it comes to making disciples? Because people are following you. I got another video clip I want to show you <laughs> where this is illustrated. Check this out. Are you jumping, Gray? Are you going to jump too? Here he goes. Show me how you do it. Little brother is watching big brother. He's already making a disciple of cliff jumping. <laughs> he's watching him. He's mimicking him. Good or bad, people are watching. They're mimic mimicking us. And what we want to be able to say is follow me as I follow Christ. And when we follow hard after Christ, others will see that. They'll want to do the same and they'll do so. Let's model prayer by teaching others to do the same. Let your kids, let people see you and hear you in prayer. Remember, prayer is not simply getting an answer, but being the kind of person that can be trusted with the answer. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being your children and showing us and teaching us how we can petition you as our, as our master and our friend and we can call upon you for all things. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.